Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to Acts, the fifth chapter. That's where I'm looking at in my Bible, Acts chapter 5. We were just studying in Acts chapter 5 this past Wednesday night in our auditorium class and some things that were discussed in that particular chapter that really stood out to me. And uh, I wanted to build upon those ideas and capitalize on it while we've been thinking about it. And so let's get our Bibles out to Acts chapter 5. We'll be in the Bible a lot this evening. This is not the occasion to be a lazy listener. Tonight you can be an Acts active participant. I'll have all the verse references on the screen to follow along. And so let's get to work in the Word of God uh, together for these next few minutes. It's great to see everybody tonight. Great to be able to be together once more on the first day of the week and to uh, not only give and receive encouragement, but more importantly to give worship unto God and to listen to what He has to say through His Word to us even today. Let's read together in Acts chapter 5. I'm reading here in the first five verses. In Acts 5, beginning in verse 1, there the Bible says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property... And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now I don't think anyone here will be surprised if I tell you that survey after survey and study after study shows that there is a shocking lack of integrity in our world today. A recent survey found that when people were asked the question, what would you do for $10 million? 25% of Americans said that they would be willing to abandon their family. 23% of Americans said that for $10 million, they would be willing to become a prostitute for a week. 7% of Americans said that they would be willing to kill a stranger. That's 7 out of every 100 people that you know. If you are here this evening and you are a stranger to me, we don't know each other very well, can we get to know each other better tonight? Can we exchange email addresses and talk a little bit more? I don't want you to be a stranger to me. You know, all around us, there are numerous examples of a lack of integrity. Whether it's politicians and congressmen who regularly are caught in scandals. Whether it's athletes and celebrities who don't really seem to want to be role models. There was even a pastor in Middlesboro, Kentucky just this past month who was arrested and charged with child rape and incest. All around us, we see people who do not seem to care about integrity. At the very same time, Acts chapter 5 announces to us that God absolutely cares about integrity. Ananias and a few verses later his wife Sapphira, they are struck dead on the spot because God does not treat a lack of integrity as a small matter, as a minor infraction. No, God wanted then to tell everyone and He wanted it to be known for all time that telling the truth, having integrity makes a difference. 
And I think the Lord knew in His infinite wisdom that a church that was full of liars and deceivers and hypocrites, that they would never be able to accomplish anything for the betterment of His kingdom. Acts chapter 5 really draws kind of a, draws kind of a line in the sand between those who are of the devil, the father of lies, and those who are the followers of Jesus, the one who identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. What Acts 5 tells us is that integrity stands at the very center of the kingdom of God, and in fact it must stand at the very center of every child of God. Acts 5 tells us we need to be people who are living and walking in integrity. And this evening I am talking about something that I think just needs to stand firmly at the very center of who and what we are as Christians. I'm talking about how we need to build bulletproof, ironclad integrity into our character. Because I believe that if you will seek to become a person of integrity, then you will never wreck your marriage with adultery. If you become a person of integrity, you will never be fired for being lazy or dishonest on the job. If you are a person of integrity, you will never have to hear your child say, Oh, I knew Christianity was a joke. Daddy went to church on Sunday, but you should have saw how he lived on Monday. I am convinced that if you will become a man of integrity, if you'll become a woman of integrity, then you will set yourself apart from the rest of this world and you will shine brightly like a light coming out of the darkness. This evening it is all about integrity. And maybe really we just need to begin this whole discussion by just talking about what it is. What can try to get kind of a handle on this critter that we call integrity and what exactly it's all about. When we talk about integrity, well, what exactly do we mean by that? And the reason I believe that we need some, some clarification here is because we often think of integrity as being just a virtual synonym for honesty, telling the truth. And for certain, there is a connection between telling the truth and integrity. But I'm going to suggest to you this evening that just being honest in our words alone, that's not enough. That really stops far short of what integrity fully encompasses. Look with me, if you will, in the book of 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 9, look at how the Bible uses this term. As the Lord is talking with King Solomon, He says this in 1 Kings chapter 9, look in verse 4. The Lord says, As for you... If you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish you, etc., etc., with your kingdom. Do you see there in verse 4 that integrity of heart, that it means a whole lot more than just being honest in our words. What we're looking at here is we're looking at something that means soundness of character. And even more especially, it means adhering to moral principles. Other writers describe it as the state of being whole, being complete, being undivided. One writer described it as sincerity and consistency. I really like that. And as I looked at all of that, it really began to dawn on me that integrity isn't so much something that you do. Integrity is something 
that you are. It is a quality that defines us. And that's why the Bible again and again talks about walking in integrity. That it is an idea that I think is well captured by the concept of personal honor. Wow, now now there's something that our society has really lost touch with. Personal honor. That this is my moral code. This is how I live. Not just some of the time, not just part of the time, but all of the time. That this is who I am. I think when we take all of those ideas and kind of pack them together, we get a pretty good working definition by saying that integrity, integrity is the determination to live consistently with one's moral code. And I think we see some of that in the book of Job. Would you find Job chapter 2? In Job chapter 2, you will remember that Job was mightily afflicted. The devil did some work there. God pulled back his protection from Job and the the Lord was allowing things to happen to Job. And the devil and God actually have a conversation about what was taking place with Job. I want you to notice what God says. This is actually one of the greatest commendations that anyone has ever received from the Lord. In Job chapter 2, look in verse 3. In Job 2 verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He will still hold fast to his integrity, even though you incite me against him to destroy him without reason. God says, Satan, despite everything that's being thrown at Job, he will not give up his moral code, the way that he believes he must live. Job is determined to be consistent. He is determined to hold fast to his integrity. You know, maybe one of the best ways for us to understand what integrity is is to understand its opposite. You know, the opposite of integrity is not lies and deceit. I think that's the easy way to describe it, but that's really not the opposite of integrity. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, that's the opposite of integrity. Play acting, pretending, living this way in one venue, and then when I'm over here in a different venue, well, I act entirely different from that. And that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira are guilty of. I asked Wednesday night, what, what sin did they commit? And almost to a person, everybody said they lied. And That's true, the text says that. But at the heart of that is something deeper. There is a heart of hypocrisy. They were not consistently trying to live out what they knew was right. And maybe what Ananias and Sapphira forgot was that integrity is something that touches every single facet of life. That integrity is not just how we live in our publicly religious lives. No, integrity is about how I'm living 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in every place that I go, in every interaction that I have, in every word that I say, in everything that I do. Look with me in the Psalms, please, in Psalm 15. In Psalm 15, this is a wonderful little psalm. It's only five verses long. And it is credited as a psalm of David. In fact, we'll look at several of the psalms, and I think almost all of them are credited as being psalms of David. Just notice how this this little passage here, it details the path of the person who has integrity. In Psalm 15, I'm reading here in verse 1, O Lord, 
Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who gets to live with God? What kind of person gets to live with God? He answers, verse 2, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, he does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own herd and does not change, who does not put out money at interest, at his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Look at all of that wonderful stuff that's spotlighted here. The person who has integrity. He walks blamelessly, verse 2. He is interested in righteousness and what righteousness means in a, in a day-to-day existence. He, he speaks the truth first and foremost to himself. speaks the truth in his heart. I can tell myself the truth. He watches his mouth, verse 3. He doesn't have all kinds of slander and lies and corrupt communication coming out of it. He despises wickedness. Verse 4, he loves the godly. He keeps his word no matter what. Man, think about that. Remember what used to be said about a man and his word, that his word was his bond? Hey, I don't need to sign no contract. You can just shake my hand and you can know that I'm a man of my word. And you know what? Once upon a time, that worked. And that's the Psalm 15 guy. He can't be corrupted by money, verse 5. He's not going to be bribed or paid off. Why? Because he has integrity. Psalm chapter 15 shows us what it is that we need to be weaving into the DNA of our lives because integrity affects every facet of life. Now hopefully all of that would cause somebody to want to know secondly, then all right, well why do we need integrity? Why is that so important? Why is that such a big deal? I mean after all, it's a whole lot easier to just cut corners, or to take shortcuts. A whole lot easier to do that than it is to be consistent in how we live morally and doing what's right even when nobody else is looking or paying attention. So why do we need integrity? What exactly does integrity do for us? Well, I'll suggest to you several things. First and foremost, let me tell you what ought to be of interest to us, especially to those of us who are of the male persuasion. And that is that when you have integrity, then that equips you for leadership. Now there is certainly a sense in which all of us as Christians are called to lead. We're called to help lead others to Christ. And we'll talk about that in a general way. But let me just say first of all right here very carefully to our men. Men, we are charged specifically in Scripture by God to be leaders. To be leaders in our marriage, to be leaders of our children, to be leaders in the Lord's church, to be leaders maybe even in our workplace and in other environments. And if we are going to fulfill that God-given role of leadership, then we must, emphasis must, have integrity. You just imagine, if somebody decides to kind of step up and they say, hey, I'm going to be the leader here and I want you to follow me. All right, well, what are all the followers thinking? Well, what they're thinking is they're thinking, can I trust him? Can I trust this guy? Does he have my best interest at heart here? Does he do what he says he will do? Can he be counted on? Is he consistent? 
That's what followers are always looking for. They're always checking to see whether or not leaders possess integrity. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 12, please. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, here is one of the great leaders in the history of the Israelite nation. Here is a man who was a prophet, and he also happened to be the very last judge in Israel. I'm talking, of course, about Samuel. And I want you to notice as Samuel is kind of nearing the end of his, his, his service, and really ending the near of his, nearing the end of his life, he addresses the people. Notice how Samuel is able to, to lean upon his integrity. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, I'm reading here in verse 1, Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, verse 2, Behold, the king walks before you and I... I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before His anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They then said, verse 4, You have not defrauded us. You have not oppressed us. And you have not taken anything from any man's hand. Do you notice there how integrity, Samuel's integrity, not only did it cause people to trust him, but integrity has a way of commanding respect. You know what? A guy like that stands up and talks. I'm going to listen to that guy. I want to hear what he has to say. I can follow the example of a guy like that because he is the real deal. Think about it now. Isn't this the very reason that we follow Jesus? Because we trust Him and because we respect Him and His integrity is unmatched? Look with me in the New Testament in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, as Jesus talks here a little bit about leading and about following, He says the following in John chapter 10, look in verse 14. In John 10 and in verse 14, Jesus says there, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now hold that thought and contrast that with what Jesus says back up in verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus says there, A stranger the sheep will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. You see, we follow Jesus, the good shepherd, because we trust him. He gave his life for us. That means we know that he loves us, and he cares for us, and he wants what's best for us. Jesus has went above and beyond to demonstrate His integrity and to show us that He is the real deal. But a stranger? A stranger? No, 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 no. We're not following a stranger. Uh, that guy, I don't, I don't know that guy. I don't know what he's all about. I don't even know if he has integrity. For all I know, he may be looking to manipulate me. He may be looking to exploit me. He may even be looking to hurt me. In the very same way, people are looking to us. They are looking to Christians. And I'm going to say once again, men, people are looking at us to provide leadership. And if they're thinking to themselves, man, I, I thought I could count on that guy. 
I, I thought that he had a moral code that he was living by. I thought he had some consistency in his walk, but boy, was I wrong. Integrity goes out the window. Trust goes out the window. Nobody's going to follow a leader like that. If you're going to lead, you're going to need to be walking in integrity. Maybe kind of closely connected with that, I would tell you secondly, that integrity, it serves to strengthen our influence. I'm looking for the book of Daniel now, in Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, here he is just one of the greatest examples in the Old Testament of a guy with high integrity. In Daniel chapter 6, everybody is just jealous of Daniel. And because of that, they decide, well, what we'll do is we'll just get some dirt on Daniel. We'll just dig up some dirt on this guy and then we'll pull him down with all that dirt that we discover. I'm reading in Daniel chapter 6, look in verse 4. Look at those efforts to find dirt on Daniel. Daniel 6 verse 4, Then the presidents and the satraps, they sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. These guys looked everywhere. They looked at his personal accounts payable. They looked in his private emails. They searched his internet browser history. They read through his text messages. They asked women, hey, has this guy ever made a pass at you before? They probed every single part of his life because they were sure, oh yeah, oh yeah, this guy, all right, there's public Daniel, there's the guy that we see kind of out in the forefront every single day. But you know what? There also has to be a private Daniel, somebody who lives very differently behind closed doors, and we're going to expose that guy. We're going to expose him for all of his dirty secrets. Nope. Nothing to be found. Daniel was consistent. Daniel was whole. Daniel had integrity. And I'm saying to you this evening that when you have that, that ends up affecting everyone around you. Drop down in the text in chapter 6 of Daniel. Look at verse 18. Because these guys ultimately, they get Daniel thrown into a lion's den on some trumped up charges. But in verse 18, we find that the very king, the king in a high place, the king of Babylon, He's worried about Daniel. Daniel is a foreigner here in a foreign land and yet Daniel 6 verse 18 says that the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Verse 19, Then at the break of day the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. He declared to Daniel, Oh Daniel! Servant of the living God. Look at this guy. Here is a pagan king and he has been influenced by Daniel to acknowledge the true and living God. Why? Because Daniel was a person of integrity. The king saw that and he was influenced by that. It's time right now to ask. It's time to ask some of those hard questions. Married folks, what does your spouse know about you? Parents, what do your children know about you? Do you have integrity? 
And thus, do you have powerful influence with the people that are closest to you? Look in the Psalms with me again, this time in Psalm 101. In Psalm 101, I want you to notice where the emphasis is placed as it talks here about integrity and how that strengthens influence. Look where that's specifically applied. In Psalm 101, I'm reading in verse 2. In Psalm 101 and in verse 2, David writes there, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart. Notice, within my house. If ever there is a place that we want to have strong influence, it's in our home, isn't it? It's with our family. And that certainly does not mean that we don't want to have influence with other people out in the world. We do. We want to have influence with everybody. But the very first place that we want to exert our influence is in our home with our loved ones, with the people who are kin to us by blood. And the Bible says that the way that you do that is by walking in integrity even in your house, even behind those closed doors when nobody else can see in. And when we have integrity, not only does that give us influence with our family, but it does prepare us to have influence with the rest of the world. We are able to sow the seed of the gospel more effectively. Our talk is able to be consistent with our walk. People are able to see that we are sincere, that we are genuine, that we are not hypocritical. That has power. That's the power of influence brought about by the power of integrity. Thirdly, though, I would tell you as well that the reason we need integrity is because integrity helps us to tackle those big decisions of life. Integrity helps just give us the the, the clarity that many times we we can't find it, we can't get it, but we need it. Integrity helps us to have that clarity. I'm looking here in the book of Proverbs. Let me stitch together two or three of the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 11... In Proverbs chapter 11, look in verse 3. Let's just lean upon the wisdom of Solomon for a moment. In Proverbs 11 and in verse 3, Solomon says, The integrity of the upright guides them. It guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Do you see there that when we have integrity, that, that moral code that we're trying to live by, then we have the very, the very compass the very rule by which we can make those tough decisions. It's going to guide us and lead us in the way that we ought to go. In fact, if you just look across the page in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 10, look in verse 9. In Proverbs 10 and in verse 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Think about that. Security in our walk. That means I'm not going to have a bunch of sleepless nights. I'm not going to be tossing and fretting and turning and wondering, oh, does my boss know? Oh, does my neighbor know? Does my spouse know? Am I going to get caught? Am I going to be exposed? Am I going to be embarrassed and humiliated? No. No, if you're walking in integrity, you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. You don't have to worry about what everybody else is thinking because I know I'm living right. One more in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs chapter 2, this is verse 7. Proverbs 2 verse 7, talking here about the Lord, how the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. What a blessing that is. To know that God is our shield. 
When we have that, that gives us the means to make those tough decisions in life. We're able to pillow our head calmly at night. Why? Because we have integrity. Now, right about now, somebody's saying, all right, all of that's good. Integrity is important. I have a better understanding of what it is, and I know why I need it. And you know what? I could use some of that. I could use a double portion of that. The question now is, where do I get some of that? How do we build and develop integrity in our lives? Well, very quickly as we close here, let me share with you a couple of ideas that I think help to to put our feet on the path. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but it does get us started in that direction. First and foremost, that needs to begin by having a willingness to deal with the past. If you're not walking in integrity... If you're not living right, if you're living hypocritically, if you've got a double life going on, you're going to have to start by dealing with that. And what's the Bible word for that? The Bible word for that is confession. Confession. That's how we deal with the past is through confession. If you're still here in Proverbs, look in Proverbs 28. Proverbs chapter 28, I'm reading in verse 13. In Proverbs 28 and in verse 13, there Solomon writes, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whenever we plumb the depths of our heart, whenever we look into our past, and what we find is a lack of integrity, there's a temptation there to try to deny it, to maybe try to cover it up, to just kind of hope that it'll just kind of go away on its own. That maybe if enough water runs under the bridge over time, well, people will just forget about that. that, that that's foolish. That, that's, a, that's a foolish way of dealing with the past. That'll never, ever work. We'll never be able to have a life of integrity when it's built on deceit about our past life. We'll have to get that sin, whatever it is, get that hypocrisy, get that ugly mess that is weighing us down. We're going to have to get in there and do some surgery and get it removed. And the way that we remove it is by confessing and forsaking our wrongs. That may mean going to our spouse and saying, Honey, I haven't been what I ought to be. That may mean sitting our children down and saying, Kids, Daddy hasn't been living the way that he should be. It may mean going to our brothers or to our sisters or maybe even in a very public kind of way, coming before the entire church and saying, I need to get that cleaned up. And I realize that that is so hard to do and it is so difficult, but I am reminded of this guy that we've talked about throughout the lesson, a guy named David, that when a prophet came to him and said to him, Hey, buddy, you're an adulterer. And David then said in front of the entire royal court, he said, I have sinned. 2 Samuel 12 verse 13. He knew that he had thrown away his integrity. He had ruined his integrity. And David knew that the only way to take care of that was to publicly say in front of everybody, I blew it. And I want to do better and I'm asking you to help me to do better. As long as we continue to engage in denial and deceit and lying to ourselves, we can never be whole. Secondly, though, I think we do need to see the all-important role that our conscience plays in developing our integrity. Our conscience helps us to build and sustain integrity. Somehow I'm afraid that the conscience has become the domain of a certain little Disney cricket 
And it seems that we have diminished what the Scripture has to say about the conscience. Like, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at what Paul writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1 and in verse 18, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. You've got to have a good conscience if you're going to have integrity, Paul says. In fact, one of my favorite passages about integrity is, once again, it's in the life of David. Would you find 1 Samuel 24? In 1 Samuel chapter 24, you remember that this is during the period in David's life when King Saul is trying to kill him. And David on this occasion actually has the opportunity, there's a window of opportunity for him to actually kill King Saul. But he doesn't do it. Instead, you'll remember, he kind of creeps up behind Saul and he just cuts off a little corner of his robe. Afterwards, though, notice what the Bible says about that. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'm looking in verse 5. 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. Afterwards, David's heart struck him because he'd cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That expression there, David's heart struck him. You might just plug in there, his conscience hollered at him. His heart was attacking him. It was telling him, something's not right here. This isn't proper. This isn't appropriate. It's telling us, you have violated your moral code. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just that David had a conscience. No, God has given all of us a conscience. And it is our job to fine-tune that conscience, to listen to that voice very, very carefully. We cannot be people of integrity if we just run roughshod over that voice. Every time that that voice speaks up and tries to strike us and to tell us, hey, don't be doing that. Hey, giving up your integrity, that's, that's the wrong way to go. Hey, you're dividing yourself. If we're going to walk in integrity, then we'll have to be like Timothy. We'll have to be like David. We'll need to listen to our conscience, which leads me finally then to maybe the most important thing of all of being people of integrity. And that is, we just need to do what we know is the right thing to do. You know, you may not know everything about the whole big old Bible. You may not be able to quote lots of Bible verses. You may not be able to explain in depth every single Bible doctrine. But I need to tell you this evening that you do not need a Ph.D. in theology. You don't need a doctorate in Hebrew or in Greek in order for you to do what you already know is right. I'm afraid that some people use their lack of knowledge, their lack of understanding about certain things in the Bible. They use that as an excuse to not go ahead and be doing the things that they do know and the things that they do understand to be right. And if that describes you at all this evening, stop it! Stop waiting around to do the right thing later. Do the right thing now. Do the right thing right now. No more excuses about that. No more rationalizations about that. Yes, you may learn more tomorrow. Great! Do more then. But if I'm going to be a person of integrity, then I need to be acting consistently with the moral code that God dictates to me from Scripture, and I need to be doing that immediately. 
People of integrity, they never ever wait to do what they know is the right thing to do. I'm looking finally here at Psalm chapter 26. In Psalm 26, one more of those Psalms of David. You just get a sense here of how important integrity was to David and how much he understood that, man, that, that could be a make or break thing for someone who's trying to follow the Lord. In Psalm chapter 26, I'm reading here in verse 11, David says this, he says, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Can you say that about yourself? And you take Psalm 26 and verse 11 and say that for you. As for me, I'm going to walk in my integrity. That all has to begin by just doing that first right thing. The thing that I know is the right thing to do, I'm going to do that. And that's going to set my foot on the path to having greater integrity. You know, it's been said that there is no such thing as a dumb question. But I would submit to you that approaching and asking a person of integrity, hey, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? I'm going to submit to you that that is a dumb question. Because for people who are walking and living in integrity, it doesn't matter if it's $10 or $10 million, or $10 billion times $10 billion. Integrity can't be bought, and integrity can't be sold. We must live consistent with the moral code of Scripture because as God's people, we're going to be the people who value, and the people who possess, and the people who are living with integrity. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening awed by how much your word has to say about this vital quality of character known as integrity. Father, we are praying this evening that you would help us to value integrity the way that you value integrity. Help us, Father, to build it deeper into our lives. Father, we're asking that you defeat us whenever we trade away and cash in our integrity and we do what's wrong. Father, give us the courage to confess when we have failed and help us to do what it is that we know that is right. We're thankful for Jesus, the, the model and the pillar of integrity. Help us to be more like Him each and every day. We're thankful so much for the salvation that He provides through the shedding of His blood that makes it possible for us to be your children. And it is through His holy and precious name that we offer this prayer. And amen.